we had a double class and we had this bridge in the middle and she those old school they had these uh record players back in the right. 70s that had it looked like an eyeball on the front the speaker okay and she since she couldn't be heard in these two rooms she get, decided she was going to get on the little speaker nice. or the mic that came with it <laughs> this is her a direct sentence that i haven't forgotten all these years put pressure on the paper with the pinpoint <laughs> And it was so it was so exaggerated. <laughs> I have pressure on the paper with the pen point. Hello everyone and welcome. This is episode 20 of Glass City Game Time. Still one of America's great sports podcasts, brought to you by The Blade. My name is Corey Christen, and thanks for listening. As always, we appreciate you checking us out, whether it's episode 1 or 7 or 12 or this one, episode 20. We definitely appreciate you. Today we are talking some basketball state semifinals, particularly girls basketball as the OHSAA state play begins this weekend in Columbus, and joining me to do so is Blade Sports writer Steve Junga. Steve, how are you? Great, Corey. About yourself? I'm good. You're ready to head to Columbus to cover a pair of local teams participating in those state semis. I am, if they still let me in by uh, by (laughs) Thursday and Friday. We'll we'll definitely get into that shortly here. There are two girls teams and three uh, boys teams. We record this on Wednesday, so three boys teams still in playoff contention. Phil Kaplan, technical producer, sits to my right. Hi, Phil. Yo, feeling healthy. We're feeling healthy. And uh, speaking of feeling healthy, that's what lawmakers and law officials and even Governor Mike DeWine is trying to do here is keep everyone healthy. And before we get into any of the game breakdowns that's going to happen this weekend, the COVID-19, the novel coronavirus by now, we all know what it is. We all know how fast it's spreading. We all know the impact that it's having on the world. Well, over the last week or so, I would say, we really started to see it affect the sports world, Steve. And on Tuesday, Governor Mike DeWine, I'll say what he said and then to summarize it, for indoor events, no spectators other than the athletes, the parents, the coaches, the school personnel, anybody essential to the game taking place, stadium officials down in uh, Columbus at St. John's Arena at the Schottenstein Center, in Cleveland for the MAC tournament as well at uh, Rocket Mortgage Fieldhouse. Steve, what that basically translates to is no fans, right? Stay home, be healthy, take care of yourself, and be cautious. Exactly, and, uh, you know, time will tell if it's a wise move. I, I don't think that it, it, it could not possibly not be the right move because um, it's such an invisible threat. I mean, if you had a situation where you're defending an arena, you're going to have a game and some warring faction is moving in. You can line up some military there and prevent it. This thing, you don't know where it's coming from, where it is, who has it. If if people would, uh, their face would light up like a bulb when they had it, it would be much easier. But if you're in a crowd of, uh, you know, St. John Arena holds 13,000, uh, a little more than that, uh, Schottenstein Center, a little closer to eighteen twenty. Not that they'll have that many at those events. But uh, that's a lot of people, a lot of potential for disaster, really, because uh, 
you know, only in those situations will that thing, it's, it's kind of like an incubator or could be. It's, I think it's the right move. Um, I know that the parents and grandparents and brothers and sisters who aren't going to be going to those games because they're not one of the four people designated by the athlete to get one of the tickets, they're going to be heartbroken. They're, they're mad about this. Um, but in the long run, um, you just got to err on the side of caution. And to be clear, it is just indoor sports for now that's really getting this restriction placed on it. And look, regardless of how those of you listening feel about it, this is me personally speaking here. I think it's the right move. I think that safe is always better. I think I'd always rather be safe than sorry. Personally speaking, I'm not really in the mood to travel publicly, whether it's a bus or a train or an airplane. Some people want to go, some people don't. I think it's a great move. I think it's a way to not really self-contain everything, but I think it's a good way to, I think, what their intention is to prevent any more severe spread of this, at least until the public health officials really find a way to quell this thing. Because quite frankly, this virus has been spreading for months now, and there's just no stopping it. It's like a freight train coming through. There's really no sign of it slowing down. So, Yeah, and then, uh, you know, there's that old, it's kind of a cliche, you know, the, the person that goes to great lengths to do something to save a life, and it's the old thing about if I could just save one life, it'll all be worth it. Well, this kind of a move could p- potentially save thousands of lives because you're not going to have, if somebody has this and they're in attendance for that, the, it's, uh, you know, the geometric pro- progression of that is, you know, off the charts. Now, it doesn't mean that everybody that contracts this coronavirus, COVID-19, is going to die from it. Mm-hmm. But you, the more you spread it around, there are people that are just much more vulnerable. They get it and they they pass from it. So it's, it's uh, any way you look at it, I personally believe it's the right move. And keep in mind, this is just science talking at this point. Somebody may have it, but not show symptoms right away. It could take a while, a few days, a week, maybe two weeks even up to, to start to show symptoms. So the fever, the coughing, just because somebody's not showing symptoms doesn't mean they don't have it. And like you said, that arena, those arenas can become incubators. If just one person or a couple people or a few people have it and they welcome in a thousand, a couple thousand spectators. So... I think, again, it's the right move. I think we will see plenty more developments. What we know today is not going to be the same as what we know tomorrow, whether it's with the virus, whether it's the virus affecting sports, whether it's the virus affecting community events. I think this is just the tip of the iceberg, if you will, that this coronavirus is going to impact society. And I think there's really hardly any positives to take out of this, but what's showing us is, hey, we have to take care of ourselves. We have to have proper hygiene. We have to wash our hands. Take showers, people. <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's really bringing to light the fact that we all need to remain somewhat hygienic here. Yeah, and I, I think it's important for people to, you know, get the proper news sources for their advice, which is probably not from the sports guys in this podcast. Mm-hmm. But, you know, your people, we all have to talk about it. But in terms in terms of the actual sports being played on the ground, the fans aren't going to be there. There's the essential people only, which includes our own Steve Junga. That's right. Now essential personnel. 
how do you think that this is going to affect the players playing? Do you think there's going to be a large spike in technical fouls of referees being able to hear players and coaches <laughs> saying under what would normally be under their breath and under cheers? I, I think it's a, in some ways a great neutralizer because you could have events like at a state tournament um, where one crowd is extremely you know, larger than the other one. And you have more of the possibility for the adrenaline rush when you make a good play and 5,000 of your people go nuts. That's out. That's all out the window. Now, it's going to be more like a, a summer AAU game where it's just the players and the coach and a handful of people. And the actual play determines, you know, who moves on and who wins the game. I think there's less potential for those those adrenaline rush kind of plays that, you know, any athlete that's played a game will tell you, they get some. They can draw energy from a crowd or the reaction of a crowd. Big Mo, Abs- absolutely. And sports, whether it's basketball, football, their coaches talk about being a game of momentum, and that's what creates momentum. Sometimes is the energy from a crowd based on their reaction to something that you do that is wonderful out on the court. You want to talk about some impact real quick? This is kind of breaking news. Except when people hear this the day after the recording, it won't be breaking anymore. This is all breaking as we record this. NCAA President Mark Emmert released a statement on limiting fan experience or having that fan experience tailored at NCAA events. And part of the statement here, it says, quote, I have made the decision to conduct our upcoming championship events, including the Division I men's and women's basketball tournaments with only essential staff and limited family attendance, end quote. That's just part of it. There's a whole paragraph here that I could keep reading, but... I mean, there you go. Now you have March Madness, which is going to continue without the, the vibrant student sections. March without... Stillness. Yeah. Well, that's a good one. Thank you. March Muteness. Maybe, I can keep going. Maybe we can title the podcast March Stillness. March Muteness. I think the biggest difference there is those games are all going to be televised mm-hmm. around the country, whether it's in your living room at a sports bar or yep. you're here at the office watching it. Um, people will see those games. They will be played. They're not stopping them. Um, the high school level, only like the championship games are televised, at least as of now. <laughs> um, and a lot of those kids, and they're never going to go on to play in college or in the pros. This is their one shot. Some of these kids have been working at their game since they were in fourth, fifth grade, building their way up. Their big moment and right on the cusp, poof, you know, mm-hmm. it's done in a vacuum basically. So uh, that in terms of who's hurt more yes they're going to miss a lot of revenue from that ncaa tournament if nobody's there at any of those games the games will go on people will still enjoy them on television the high school kids don't really have that avenue but i'd be curious to see what the tv ratings are like now and i know that they will spike up up a little bit obviously because a lot there's thousands of fans that aren't going to be there but this might be great for the TV companies and great for advertising. You know, there's got to be some positives to draw out of this. We've seen it leak into pro sports, too, with the Toledo Walleye playing their game Wednesday without fans in attendance. And that is a the bank tank, as glossed by our own Mark Monroe. That is a team that is second in the ECHL in attendance. They draw about 7,800 fans per game. So whether it affects on-ice play for the Walleye, you know, we'll see long term and we'll see if other teams in the ECHL and the AHL, the NHL or MLB, whatever league it may be, follow suit. But this could be something at least until 
researchers and doctors, they find a way to, I'm not going out to say cure this thing because you've got to crawl before you walk, walk before you run here. Find a way to contain it, find a way to vaccinate it, and find a way to cure it. Those three steps, I think, are going to come at some point, but when does it happen? We obviously don't know. So the precautions, I think, are very fair to take. What about cheerleaders? Would you bring cheerleaders? I mean, who are they leading? Are think, they essential personnel? I think they count as school personnel. Cheerleaders, essential personnel. I'd have to ask. Even without a crowd, the game needs to go on with your, your from cheer the, squad. From what I saw, that unless I missed something, that was not addressed. Um, they mentioned players and coaches. Basically. Marginalizing the, the hard work of the cheerleaders. I'd have to ask uh, Brian Bucky, who covered Toledo women, played in Cleveland. I'd have to ask Brian Bucky if uh, it's, they had cheerleaders there. It's all about, obviously, lowering, lowering the percentages of the spread and the fewer people that you can get in there, absolutely essential. And one, I guess, one good thing, I don't mean to make light of it, but pretty much everybody has a front row seat that goes. Yeah. I don't understand why the outrage is so high over the whole, you know, people are like, well, it's a over-exaggerated thing and it's a media panic. They're trying to spread panic. And, like, look... If you don't want to get sick, if you're afraid to catch this thing, if you think that you're high at risk, stay home. Who, like, good for you. I would personally try to take care of myself in the best way. This is the better safe, the writ of better safe than sorry. I, I think it's, I think it's totally reasonable, even if it is an overreaction to the present circumstances. Good, good. Uh, it's okay to take a precaution. This is something I think is okay to overreact to. Yeah, and people are worried about it. We live in our own personal lives, our own homes, and we also live in the public at large. And I think when you're, uh, you know, you see it as in a selfish way as why can't I go to see Johnny play? Mm -hmm. Um, The bigger question, though, is how can I help Johnny and many other people have a better chance to survive? Um, And I don't know. It's tough. If you're in it, you want to see your kids play. And you want them to have the best experience. But in the long haul, what damage are you potentially doing if you act on that selfishness? Yeah, I would not want to be the person that spreads this thing to somebody that is very susceptible to get it. And the studies show that it is within elderly people, with people that have weakened immune systems, with people who are very prone to these kind of respiratory infections. I would not want to be the person to spread this to somebody that is a qualifier for one of those or two of those or three of those criteria and they end up getting sick and something worse happens. I would not want to be that person. I think that this is... uh, The the good that's going to come out of this, and I, I try to look at the bright side of everything, it's teaching us good hygiene all over again. Wash your hands, take a shower, don't cough on people. I mean, those are all practical things that we should probably have done anyway. And number two... I really think that this is going to kind of raise the self-awareness of people to say, you know what, is this that important? Is that that important? Do I need to do this? What is the correct thing to do? Within a society now that is dealing with this kind of thing, what is the correct thing to do? I think we're all going to make the right choices out of this, and good will come out of this eventually, but that's obviously not the case right now. So those, this is the kind of thing where you have to roll with the punches for now. I think for now, I'm personally glad that the games just flat out aren't canceled because mm-hmm. that could have been an option too, where they just everything shut down. At least these kids that have been on this mission, you know, since fifth grade and 
all season long and off season workouts get to play this thing out you know all the way and see who is the champion and so forth uh same way with the ncaa um so that part is good um if more people could see it that would be great but that's only going to happen on television and i think obviously college basketball has an answer for that and there will be ways to watch the state basketball tournaments as well so to my knowledge the napoleon and the notre dame academy girls games will be streamed somewhere well um the only thing that in past years the state has allowed is uh the championship games are aired, and in recent years it's been on Spectrum, which a lot of people in the Toledo area can't get. Um, there is provision for local outlets to go ahead and do a semifinal game if they you know, can send a crew down there to do a broadcast, pay the fee, and so forth. And that may happen. I don't think it's happening in this case with our teams. I have a TV production, uh, like a fantasy booking for TV production, too. You're going to learn a lot more about these players and their families with this NCAA tournament thing now. That only only the family spectators are allowed to show up. You're going to get a lot of personalization, I think, in the crowd with, with some of these families and with some of these players that are on the court. But, again, that's just me trying to look at the positive side of things. Um, what do you say we talk a little actual basketball action this weekend, Steve? You're going to Columbus to St. John Arena to cover... Two of our local competitors in the OHSAA Girls State Semifinals. Thursday, Division II Semifinals. Napoleon, they're still undefeated, 27-0. They face Dresden Tri-Valley at 22-3. Friday at St. John Arena, Notre Dame Academy, 24-3. They face Cincinnati Mount Notre Dame at 28-0 at 8 p.m. Let's talk about the Napoleon game first, and... Napoleon coming off a 54-37 win versus Willard. That was at Mansfield to get to states. They're led by a trio of scorers here. Talking about Taylor Strzok, Shea Pedroza, Kaylee Ressler, and Corey Kreinbrink has this team rolling right now, and they haven't obviously undefeated. They haven't lost yet this year, but just what makes Napoleon such a formidable threat, and what can we expect to see from them Thursday in this matchup against Tri-Valley? Yeah, um, they are a team that is truly a team. Um, there is no one star that they are two stars that they rely on, the so-called go-to player. Obviously, Taylor Strzok is maybe the most talented all-around player on that team, but she's averaging a little over 12 points a game. Their true strength is that every player on the court can play defense, every player can shoot, they have players coming off the bench. They don't miss much. If somebody's having an off night, um, they're the kind of team that you don't really it, – it, that's absorbed by the other players who chances are won't be having an off night. That's been their strength all year. I think uh, the big advantage they had over the last couple of years, um, two years ago, surprisingly got to a regional for them. They uh, – um, had only, I think, won 10 games or ended up being 17 that year. But anyway, played a Rodgers team that went on and won the state title. Last year, same thing, got to the regional semi again. Those experiences and a lot of the girls from those teams are still playing, they were able to set the bar. You know, this is what it takes. If we're going to move beyond this point, here's what we have to do. And they've done those things. And Dresden Tri-Valley, which is, by the way, 26-3 and now after their regional, um, seems to be a really formidable foe without having seen them. 
Um, they've already knocked off in their regional semifinal a close win over the number five ranked team in the state, and in their regional final beat the number one ranked team that had been unbeaten before that in Circleville. Um, based on the conversation with their coach, it seems like they're a lot like Napoleon. Emphasis on defense, mm-hmm. emphasis on team play, deep. They, you know, they can pressure a little bit. So it's going to be whichever team does that better. Napoleon likes to run, and I think they like to rotate. I talked about those three players, Strzok, Pedroza, and Ressler. Kreinbrink likes to rotate those three players around throughout the game. And I know that all three can score in different ways, but I think like along, along the lines of what you said, I think the word is cohesion. You see all these different pieces that Napoleon has, and just the way they melt together, you know, and, and they can play different positions, and they can sub in and out, and they can give players respite and breaks. I think that Napoleon, the thing that they do the best is just that. They played that team basketball. So I'm looking forward to see what they could do. And I think it will be a close game because Tri-Valley has played very well these last couple weeks. Um, it's kind of one of those cases where in in playoff time in basketball, you could be the hot team or you could be the good team. And sometimes you'd rather be the hot team than the good team. Napoleon's a very, very good team. They're a great team. That's why they're here. And, and also hot. And they're uh, hot in, too. in tournament, five tournament games, they are outscoring their opponents something like 54 to 28. Yeah, yeah. They've just, they have not had a close one yet. That can be good or bad. That can mean you're really firing on all cylinders and nobody can stop you. Or if you look at the other end, if it's a close game, Dresden Tri Valley has been in two of those back to back with, you know, two of the best teams in the state and came out on top. They found a way to get it done. So that that's a good thing, too. Sometimes it's good to have those close battles because if you're in one, you know how to get through it. Are you expecting a close game? I am. Um, I can't see it any other way. I don't see either one of those teams folding. It may be a lower-scoring game than each of them is used to, but uh, and it's a toss-up. And then on Friday, Division One state semifinal, Notre Dame Academy versus Cincinnati Mount Notre Dame. Cincinnati Mount Notre Dame hasn't lost yet this year. That game is going to be at 8 p.m., also at St. John Arena, and... For Notre Dame, it's Grace Van Sluten, who is really the straw that stirs that drink. 16 a game. She has seemingly a 1,000 scholarship offers already to play collegiately. More like 30, but <laughs> it's pretty good for a sophomore. I, if I had 30 offers as a sophomore to do something, then I don't think I would be sitting in this building right now. Just Van Sluten leading that Notre Dame team and going up against the Mount Notre Dame team from Cincinnati that hasn't lost yet. Yeah, that uh, and it's much more than a team that just hasn't lost yet. They're 28-0 this year. They're the defending state champion and won big in the finals last year. They're currently on a 44-game winning streak. They have, although Grace is a great sophomore player, they have maybe the best sophomore player in Ohio and K.K. Bransford, who is uh, about 20 points a game, 5'9", 5'10", sophomore guard. Um, and is also their team's leading rebounder. They have a their point guard who's a senior that's going to Dayton to play. Um, KK was first team All-Ohio, as was Grace. And uh, Makira Cook, the point guard from Mount Notre Dame, um, it was named to the All-Ohio second team. This program um, has won, um, I think it is now, seven or eight state titles, mm-hmm. all since uh, 2004. 
They had uh, their first in 2004, and then they won four in a row between 06 and 09, so that's five. They won in 17, they won in 19, they're going for a third in four years. Notre Dame, our Notre Dame, has a monumental uh, challenge ahead of them. Not sure they can pull this one off. Um, That team's loaded. Um, Notre Dame showed a little vulnerability, I thought, uh, in recent weeks. Northview almost got him in the district final, and last year Perrysburg or last weekend Perrysburg had him down by eight heading into the fourth quarter. Mm-hmm. They cannot afford to play those types of games. They're going to have to play their best game just to have a chance. Notre Dame defeated Perrysburg at Norwalk to advance to the state semifinals. Now, when I look at this matchup, this is not a a scenario that Notre Dame is stranger to either. Let's let's be clear about that too. Notre Dame Academy has been there before to the state semifinals. They have been to these big arenas. They have been to the big stage. And maybe that experience will come back and bring some old shades back and they can get over Mount Notre Dame. But as you said, it's it's an uphill thing to climb based on, I would say, matchup alone. But, you know, hey, this is March. Anything can happen. But I think that you're right. I think Notre Dame has to get out early. They have to play consistent basketball. And not to say they don't have a shot at it, but... Based on matchup alone, I think uh, Mount Notre Dame could be favored in this one. Yeah, and it, it's it, no crime for our Notre Dame to lose that game. This is a really special basketball team. I mean, 44 straight wins, um, and they play a really tough schedule, part of it being out-of-state games against top-notch teams, and they've passed every test. They've had a few flo- few close calls here uh but uh, for the most part, they're just locked and loaded and ready to go. And uh, um, our Eagles have their work cut out for them. Which, um, between Notre Dame and Napoleon, which do you think is more likely to advance to the state final? Absolutely Napoleon. And I'm not saying that they will, but the chance, they're not going up against a Mount Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And that's a major roadblock. And before we sign off today, let's take a look at the boys' side and... On Thursday in Division Two, Rogers will face Parma Heights Holy Name at the Stroh Center at BG at eight o'clock in a regional semifinal. Steve and Rogers came out and they were it was a showdown. They pulled away from Sandusky. They avenged a loss from earlier in the season, and now they get a Holy Name team that's twenty and five. And Rogers, I think, has a good shot at this one. Well, for anybody that watched that game. Um, you Steve can, and I did. Yeah, yes, and, you, and you, can, uh, you can pretty much, according to Coach Rodney Martin from Rogers, um, count on the same exact type of game in this one because the Parma Heights Holy Name team seems to be a carbon copy of Sandusky. Um, they, like, um, Sandusky had Taj Stavesky, the point guard. Um, Parma Heights has Quentin Richardson, a tremendous point guard, equally as quick, great ball handler. Um, the Sandusky team had a big uh, football player that played down low in the post, was able to knock some bodies around down there. And uh, the Green Wave has that as well. Um, so, And he says they're surrounded by three good shooters, which is pretty similar to what Sandusky's Blue Streaks had. So it's going to be a lot similar game. Um, I, I, I really like the way Rodgers played in that one um, because they beat a pretty good team by 14 points. And I saw a lot of room for improvement. I mean, they made a lot of mistakes in that game, committed a lot of, like, ill-advised fouls that just were, 
you know, 50 feet from the basket. And they could clean a few things up and really fine-tune that team. I like their chances. And then if they get to Saturday's final, which is at 2 p.m. at the Stroh, they will likely play the number one team in the state who I don't know um, if they're going to get past that team. Lima Shawnee has pretty much whacked everybody all year long. They're they're unbeaten. They beat uh, Lima Senior by 14 or 15 points in their head-to-head matchup. So they're going to have to take it up a notch. If they're lucky enough to get out of the semifinals, the final, if it's against Lima Senior or Lima Shawnee, is going to be a major, major battle. We've seen Nate Houston, the point guard for Rogers, step up. He had 20 in that district final. We've seen Jemiah Neal play great lately. And midseason, we were wondering, how are they going to replace Ketan Wyatt, who went down with a season-ending injury? Looks like Houston's filled that void just as well as Ketan Wyatt would have actually played. Yeah, it's and it's not a case of actually filling a void as a point guard. It's just finding another way to play the game with five guys on the court, and that's like Jemiah Neal's a big part of that. He's kind of taken over some of the point guard responsibility. Nate Houston isn't a point guard. He's a clear off guard. He's an athlete. Um, he had a couple, a couple highlight three, real dunks. Oh my goodness! I don't, <laughs> you know, if you're talking about somebody who had a coming out party there, it was him on that night because. Uh, didn't get a whole lot of court time all season long, and all of a sudden he looked like you know a young Michael Jordan in this game. I mean, <laughs> I am not kidding. These dunks, uh, how <laughs> uh, the first one caught the whole arena off guard. Everything stopped for a few minutes, and there was a buzz because he, he did not look like he was going even up to dunk it. And the next thing you know, he just kept climbing. Yeah. And the next thing you know, he's shoving it down in somebody's face, and it was just very impressive. He also hit a couple big threes. He had 14 in the first half, and I think that was important because it was a close game at that point, and nobody else was really kind of putting that together. He, You talk about an X factor, he was it. And uh, I don't know if you can expect that again. Usually, you know, the opposing team sees something like that. They're going to they're gonna have a body on him yep. in this game. He's not getting a free pass anymore. But that could allow some of the other guys to step up and have more freedom to do what they do. Well, we'll see what happens between uh, Thursday and Friday. Three local teams, two girls, one boys, playing in some playoff basketball action. Uh, Steve, any final thought before we get you out of here and on your way down to our state's capital? Yeah, I guess, you know, just in general, um, people – need to just chill out a little bit right now, Um, relax, don't let this become an obsession, Um, the coronavirus scare, do the right thing, stay away from other folks if you can, Um, not to be antisocial, just to be safe, and, uh, you know, go about it the right way, and and, and some months from now, hopefully we're through this, and there's some kind of a, you know, a, a vaccine or a cure, and then it's on to the next disease that comes through and is a threat. And, you know, this may happen again. Yeah. Phil, any final thought? I think Roger's size and commitment to aggressive defense, even if it may result in stupid 50 feet away from the basket fouls, is going to get them to the state. Yes, and it all depends in terms of that type of play. They play aggressive, Steve, and they play as a team on defense. Yes. It's good to see. Absolutely. And a lot of those games, I mean, it's going to depend on the officiating crew. If it's a crew that lets you play, I like their chances. If it's somebody that's going to call the ticky-tack stuff, they might have five guys falling out if they play like that. Yeah, that's true. I think they have the capability of backing off a little bit. 
But in that particular game, you had two teams that wanted to play that way, and to the crew's credit, they let them go. And uh, you paint know, was sh- not for boys. No, 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 no. Short of getting your head lopped off when you went to the basket, uh, you know, it was anything goes. Physicality, I like it. Uh, my final thought is kind of twofold. Number one, I echo your sentiment, Steve, about the coronavirus and COVID nineteen. Um, number two, WrestleMania season is here. And WrestleMania 36. Oh, the big threat to your cultural identity. WrestleMania 36 takes place in just about three weeks here from Tampa. Or does it? They're talking about suspending it. So Talk I'm about curious. a sport where you actually really need the crowd. You need you a crowd really at WrestleMania. You need the crowd for WrestleMania. Otherwise, it's a house show with five people there and nobody's getting excited. You know, those crowd pops mean a lot. So it's curious, but I, I can't wait for that. And also, uh, shameless plug time. So Steve and I... Each wrote Spotlight Athlete columns this week. Steve, if you want to consider this a primer for Napoleon's game, wrote on Taylor Strzok of Napoleon. And I'm sure there's some details about getting to the state uh, semifinals and just what Napoleon's done this year. So, Steve, you got a... Yeah, I mean, just a great kid. Um, She's the daughter of Tori Strzok, who's the Napoleon football coach the last 12 years, been a coach for 20 years. I covered him as a player at Liberty Center back in the early 90s, great athlete himself. And the really cool thing is where you can have those situations, maybe more so with a father-son where there's some headbutting. There's a lot of potential for that there between those two because, according to Tori, they're both bullheaded. (laughs) But he chooses to let her alone. And he says, I, I tell her two things before every game. I love you and have fun. And that's it. He stays out of it. He doesn't uh, go over the game, you know, step by step afterward what she did wrong. And uh, I, I like the relationship, and uh, it, was a, it was a fun interview. Great yeah. sporting advice yeah. to receive love and to be told to have fun. I think, I think players uh, uh, respond highly to that. What a novel concept. Yeah. What yeah. an absolute novel concept. Yeah. My plug, I wrote on uh, Connor Bartlett of Bedford, who is a true warrior in the whole sense of life, who in 2018 was diagnosed with stage 4 testicular carcinoma, and he overcame that fight in less than a year. So I was really excited to talk to Connor uh, and to Kevin Vogel at, at Bedford. And um, we, Steve and I, I, I both can say that we would really appreciate checking that out. Also, last week's podcast where we talked to South Carolina women's basketball guard Zaya Cook, former Rogers Rams standout. Uh, it was great to chat with Zaya, and now South Carolina is the SEC champions on their way to the NCAA tournament, probably the number one overall seed. So uh, good luck to the Gamecocks in, in the tournament, which unfortunately there won't be any fans there for. Um, yeah, but great interview with Zaya. You can go back and listen to episode 19, Were You So Intrigued? 19. It's only about 25 minutes. Should be your drive home. Your drive home from work. That's where you put it on. We went a little longer than a drive home from work today, so maybe part one on the way, part two on the way home. None of us are as talented as Zaya Cook, so we had to work twice as hard. Exactly. That's how that works. Uh, My thanks to Steve. My thanks to you, Phil. And thank you, those of you at home, for listening. If you enjoyed the show... Please remember to leave us a like rating. We always appreciate that. And if you want to listen back previous episodes of Glass City Game Time, there are multiple ways to do that. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, on Spotify. 
Please remember to subscribe and leave us a good rating if you enjoyed this episode, a previous episode, whatever it may be, of Glass City Game Time. So, for Steve Junga and for Phil Kaplan, my name is Corey Christen. Thank you for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.